So if you've been listening to our episodes, I'm sure you've heard us talk about omni-channel retail, the idea of you know, having multiple sales channels, whether it be online or in store, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere that you're reaching your customer, um, that is omni-channel. And ultimately, like standing out online is a huge challenge for a ton of brick and mortar retailers. What's probably easy to reach their customers in their communities turns into a challenge as soon as you go to a regional or national audience. And one of the places that we've seen really just crush it when it comes to standing out online is Ruthie Grace um, in Montgomery, Texas, which is, how would you say, like, what is this near? We're like this little bitty small town on the map. Everyone knows us because they always get speeding tickets coming into town. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in between Houston and College Station. I would say that's the best way yeah. um, to kind of really know where we are. Yeah. So it's a little bit off the beaten path, but it's, you know, it's uh, like an hour outside of Houston. We just got a Panera Bread. So you do have a Panera Bread. Yeah. And a we're Subway. moving up. Yeah, no, but it's a, a beautiful town. Um, and Ruthie Grace has done a fantastic job of building something that really stands out online and is able to reach people, like not just here, but really all over the country. If you had to say one thing that has made Ruthie Grace stand out online, what has that one thing been? Building a brand, which is something that a lot of people basically will say, oh yeah, I have a logo or I have, you know, shopping bags and mailers and things like that but really fully understanding the concept of building a brand is what has allowed us to basically take our business to the next level that's really good and you know i think before we get into your brand um, i think it's important to understand like how you've gotten where you are because i think of course part of building the brand is your story is what took you from where you started to today so like where did ruthie grace start okay um like when did it start? Whose idea was it? Um, did you have partners? Like all of that stuff, um, and then take us to today. All right. And, and what that what that pieces look like? Okay, so I tell everybody when they say, "Where does Ruthie Grace start?" and I call her my firstborn child. <laughs> so I was um, fresh out of college. I had about nine months working in the corporate world, and um, I just wasn't really fulfilled creatively with my job. I liked my job. I liked what I did, but I just, I knew that there was more to my brain than what I was using at that job. And, um, at the time my husband, he had a really great job and we knew that he would be there for a long term. And I really wanted to do something I loved. I was nominated for best dressed in high school. So clothes and styling has always been something that I really enjoyed, but never did I put a boutique actually owning a retail store as a thought in my mind. Sure. By the way, what year, around what year are we talking about here? This is 2000. Well, I graduated in 2009. Really, I should say Ruthie Grace was born at the end of 2010. Okay. So I graduated December of 2009. And so this was right at, well, the idea came about nine months. And then I opened, I opened the business, not opened the doors, opened the business at the end of 2010. Okay, so you decided to make this jump, and then did you start with a physical store, or did you start with a website? Nope. I had a brick-and-mortar location. Um, it was 900 square feet, bathroom, office, and all its beauty. It was actually an older home that was in the Heights in Houston in the 40s, and then relocated to a historical district here in Montgomery. Yeah, so we basically 
took it over. We renovated it. Um, and I had a retail brick and mortar location for four and a half years before I ever stepped foot into e-commerce. Wow. So, so you opened the store, like, was it just you? Did you have a team? It was just me. I had, my sisters helped me. They were in college. Um, my mom helped a little bit, but I was a pretty much a one man show. I did it all of it. The receiving, the tagging, the checking people out. Um, there was a lot of hours spent in that tiny 900 square feet, (laughs) but, but I did it. And, um, it wasn't, we actually opened the doors for, for business, February 11th, 2011. And I did it all by myself with no extra employees. I had friends that would come and help, but not actually a paid employee until June of 2011. So a couple months in, but. And I mean, early on, like how successful was the business? Um, it was, overwhelming how quickly it took off. So growing up in Montgomery, that's where I actually graduated from high school. I knew that um, we had a need for people for for clothes because in order for anyone to live that lived in our town to go shopping, they had to go all the way into the woodlands, which it was a 30 minute drive. It's not terrible, but the idea of boutique shopping was there, but it was typically like unique finds. I wanted to open a business, a boutique that people could shop with me and find things for everyday life. Yeah. So it took off really quick. Our opening weekend, I sold out of pretty much everything. And oh there were like the next few days that I was open and people would come in. And I'd be like, don't let this be your first impression of my store. I have more merchandise on the way. Yeah. And that was before like you could easily get on like fashiongo.com and easily restock on everything. Like this was. This was crazy. Yeah. Like, you had to go to market. I mean, Fashion Go was there, but the availability and how quickly, I mean, it just wasn't really what it is today. Yeah. And, and for listeners who don't know, Fashion Go is a website that boutiques use to order from multiple vendors. You should definitely check them out if you haven't heard of them that that is mostly for the boutique industry. I don't think that anything outside of women's boutiques really I, could use not that. Not that so. I know of, Okay, so but it's amazing. So the business blew up, um, which is incredible. And like, if, you're, if you were so successful, what made you make that jump to an online store? So I feel like it's really important for me to draw, like to talk about the in-between step that I had. Um, and that's co- where I would say I was selling on social. Um, so not a full-blown e-commerce website, but actually using Facebook and Instagram for people to make purchases. Do you mean like, because um, I think that means a different thing for a ton of different people. Okay. For some, I think selling on social means like, you know, post a picture of a dress and say, I have small, medium, large, call me if you want it. Um, for others, it's using something like comment sold, which I don't think existed then. No. Um, so like, what did that look like for you? And then in between time. Right. So in the beginning, we started out with posting pictures and the people would say, do you have small? Yes. Give us a call and you can buy online. So we were taking phone orders is what we were doing and shipping. And then um, we had an in-between stop where we worked with a company called Runship out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And it's very similar to Comment Sold in the sense that um, it has a dashboard and it's a system that houses customer profiles. And people can basically use the phrase hashtag run ship, um, their size and their name for the profile. And the system would basically populate like this customer with this Instagram handle is this person. And it would send in kind of like a pending order. 
And then we could cross-reference with inventory. And if we did have the inventory, we could basically complete the order through the dashboard. Um, so it wasn't an inventory syncing system. It didn't take money up front. You had to manually do all of it. But it allowed me to be able to sell online without, I say online, allowed me to sell on social without taking the big step into e-commerce. Got it. So your store is still around. My store is still around. And you are now starting to sell on social. And then you decide to make this jump to opening an online store. Right. So we were in our first small building. I told you 900 square feet for four years. And then we took a big step moving from 900 to 3,400 square feet in a building next door. Oh, wow. And once we were able to open up that additional space to house inventory for e-commerce, we decided to take the step into e-commerce because we were able to have basically the setup for it. And Mm -hmm. so that was like six months after moving into that building, we stepped out into e-commerce. Well, okay. So you're like, you don't have a warehouse or anything like that. You are just doing everything out of your store. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, um, as far as like tools are concerned, you were on, was it Vend? Yes, we were you using were Vend, Vend Point of Sale. Vend and Shopify. So the two like were connected. Yes. And so you had some ways to do that, which is super super important as right. a side note is like the ability to have one inventory, even though of course like there can be problems and nothing's perfect. It's great that you were able to start with that stuff. Um, so I guess now take us forward. You get this larger store, but mm-hmm. like right now I'm in your warehouse. Yes. And it's all one building. Right. Um, there's like for to describe it um to people if you walk in to the front door you're going to come into how many square feet is the front that's only 600 square feet for retail yeah so you're going to walk into um so picture like we're like in a warehouse it's a business park a business park like a warehouse center so if you don't live in an area that has these picture like a group of warehouses that have like front welcoming areas and then behind that you're gonna have a group of offices and then behind that you have warehouse space correct so that front like what would be like a welcome area maybe where you'd put a few staff if you were like an, a, a non-retail business um is the retail space and then we have a group of offices which is where we are right now right and then you have your warehouse um where you send out most of your orders all right so all your orders yeah um so how do we get from that larger retail space to um this, Here. the smaller space because it, it seems like your retail business was crushing it I, I i guess that's where the the gap that i'd love to fill in a little bit okay so let me tell you a story because storytelling is my favorite <laughs> we were in the big store and we had the back part of the store was like back stock and offices and then the front was this big gorgeous beautiful retail location um I really need to pull up pictures so you could see it. It was grand and gorgeous. And the building that we were in was actually a schoolhouse from the 1800s. And so it had these all shiplap on the inside, old wood floors. It was gorgeous. Well, the building, while it was a standalone building, I didn't own it. I rented at least. And the property owners had it for sale. And we played around with the idea of buying it for a long time. However, at the rate that my online store was growing... I knew that I would outgrow that building. And because it was in historical district, what would I do with a building that I couldn't use that I had outgrown? Um, you know, maybe hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe I would have bought it, stayed there, and took my online to a warehouse. I don't know. But at the time, I just knew that I was going to outgrow it. Yeah. So, so at that time, where, like, percentage-wise, was your 
brick and mortar to your web revenue wise? So at this point, I would say they were probably neck and neck. They were 50 50. Okay. Because we had great location. We had a lot of foot traffic coming in and out of the store. Our online store was really starting to grow, but my retail, my online store was not the front runner at that point. Got it. So your, um, so your building's for sale and you're yeah. hinting at the fact that you, yeah. So I was, um, nine months pregnant and I get a phone call that my building sold and we had to be out quickly because my lease at the time was actually coming up to the end of the lease. And, um, so we had to make some really, really quick changes. So here I was nine months pregnant. Maybe I was eight months. I was at the end. Um, I had a retail store, an online warehouse, and I had to figure out what to do. And so basically that's why we ended up here in this warehouse location because once you sign the lease for the shell of the warehouse, they have it built out and ready for us within two months. And anybody who has a retail business knows that downtime is not good time. You're losing money. And so my goal was to keep this store open without ever missing a beat. My warehouse, my online store can be open and I had to keep it running without ever shutting down. Yeah, but this is like, I mean, we're really talking like a retail, a retailer's like worst nightmare Yeah, is like half of your revenue is going to be taken away from you and you need to be out like all this stuff and you're nine months pregnant. Yes. Um, With my second baby. Same time. <laughs> oh, so there's yeah, another is, kid that's yeah. yep. doing their damage. Running uh, around doing his <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. All at the same time. So. So you moved to this warehouse park. So that's been the hardest part, I would say. Um, so this actual location, um, for those of you that you can't see physically, from downtown, what we consider downtown Montgomery, it's off the beaten path. It's not It's not in the hub of things. Um, it's a newer development area, so it's not easily found on GPS, actually. But I, ha- I knew that I had to keep going. And so we played around then with the idea of actually not even having a retail storefront. But because my business was founded on the local people here, and I still had so many loyal customers who wanted to shop in store, um, this was just the best idea that we could come up with at the time. So we're going to say, you know what, warehouse, online, we know that that's going to grow. And we know that there's a lot of potential there. And I know that my loyal customers, if I ha- even if I'm not easily accessible, they're still going to come because we have built a brand that people still associate with. And they're yeah. not going to, you know, they're still going to come. So that's why we ended up here. My storefront has taken a hit. My sales in my storefront, it's been hard adjusting to that. Sure. That change of pace that... You know, you, we've even changed our open hours because, you know, we really don't get much traffic after four o'clock. So it's been an adjustment and it's constantly learning how to, okay, how can we bring customers into the store? But that storefront location is temporary for us. We know that we will be back in a big, beautiful retail store soon. Sure. So, I mean, so things have shifted so much and your brand really seems to be what's carried you from like 50 50 online in-store to being now like like 90% online. Yeah. 10% in-store. Yeah. So 90, 10 online in-store. And I think you hit on something earlier, which is important is 
that we need to separate the idea of a brand as a logo and a set of colors and branding guidelines because while those things are brand it's also this other piece and i think you know brand is the way that people like how people feel when they engage with you brand absolutely is how people, and so like what does that look what does that look like for ruthie grace like first off if you could if someone's never heard of you describe like what is your brand what is your customer and then how have you worked to build that you know from the f day one to transitioning to online because the way that you can let someone experience your brand in store in store it's almost e it's easy because you can talk to them you can show them of course. but online you don't get to control their reaction no so you really you have to, there's some more there's some questions that have to be asked right and answered um to do that and you've done that particularly well so like i guess describe your brand and then how how have you changed that over the last few years? So I would say this was the pivotal turning point for me in my online business is when I decided I was going to hone in a lot on branding and I took a step further on my target audience. So a clothing store can basically when you're selling young contemporary clothing sizes, you can dress women as young as junior high all the way up into their 70s, maybe even older. I mean, my grandmother shops here. But when you're trying to buy specific clothes for women of all different ages you're basically just like throwing darts at not even the target you're, you're just trying to find something that's going to work for them and so I decided I was going to hone in on my target audience so when I do anything I consider women from the ages of roughly 22 to roughly 38 and specifically young motherhood and young professionals so that's when I started buying for every single life event that they have. How can I meet them where they're at in their life? There are so many online retailers in the United States, even outside the United States. So how do you have your piece of the pie? Well, you find your target audience and you meet them exactly where they are in their life. And so that's really what we started focusing on. So we even... You know, if something has functional buttons, we tell our customers this is nursing friendly because we want them to know like you are, this is a season in your life and we're going to help you dress for where you're at right now. Yeah. So, so you would say in a lot of ways, like if moms are your piece, I mean, that ranges so much. So you've, you've built this brand centered towards that customer. Like how, how does that play itself out in the decisions that you make? Like, you know, I think one thing, if you go to your website, you know, I've noticed like you use almost the exact same model right. for everything. Right. And that's not for like lack of availability. So it's very specific in why I have Lindsay as our model. And this was another huge turning point for me. I could not market to women in that age range if I wasn't using a model that was in that age range. We have to be relatable to our customer on all aspects because we are them behind the screen you know, filling the orders, we are all those women living all those life stages too. So that's what's really important for small businesses to realize is like, yes, the actual business and the customer have separation, but really they need to be the same person. And when you connect with somebody on that emotional level, that's when you're going to find loyalty to your business. And so Lindsay, our model, she is within those age ranges. She is a mom, like she's living the life that our customers are living. And so that's really when we saw a change when I, cause I used to have girls model that were college age, like 18, 19. 
And while they were beautiful and they modeled the clothes so well, once I stepped into the realm of my target audience, that's really when I saw a huge difference too. Yeah. And I think that's so easy for like, especially boutiques um, to do is really use your employees. And like, if we're honest, like boutiques, a lot of times the employees of those businesses are college age girls um, because they fit like the pay range and everything is as it works. Um, and they're great at what they do. You hire college age girls to work in your store, which is great. You have, that, I you, do. You, you do. Um, and that's who you get to be models because they're already there. Um, and so you, you chose to bring in, start bringing in people from the outside. Um, and that's one of the things that I've really liked about like getting to, to get to know more about Ruthie Grace is it seems that, you know, if we really look at some of these changes that you've made, it's that at certain points in your business, you've taken a step back and said, why? Right. I think, I think that's something that, um, a lot of retailers forget to do is, is when something succeeds, we need to take a step back and say, why did this succeed? Why did it work? Why did it work? And then when something doesn't, we need to say, why didn't it work? Correct. Rather than say, man, I'm so glad that succeeded or bummer like that stunk. Let's not do that next time. And we only learn from mistakes, but we also don't learn from our successes. Correct. And you know, like you, you, so you started to use Lindsay almost exclusively that Correct. being an example, um, like, was it something that, that caused you to say like, I'm just going to stick with this one model or these few models or did it just so happen that it worked out that way it worked out that way yeah i would say honestly it's a little bit of both um it's really nice because she's available during the day you know so i don't have to work around like late hours or anything so we do all our photo shoots and all of our styling during the work hours so that's really really beneficial um but honestly once we switched to her i just started noticing a huge change in sales People were just starting to relate to her. The thing is, is like younger girls can sometimes relate to someone who's a little older than them, but mm -hmm. women who are older ha cannot relate to girls who are younger. Does that make yeah. sense? So, um, you know, so the women that I was trying to target were having a hard time relating because they were, you know, I'm talking about motherhood specifically and not all my customers are obviously moms, but when you go through having a baby, you go through so many body changes. And I imagine that my customer would be like, I can't relate to that because she's, you know, she's young and fit and, you know, in her prime or whatever. Yeah, never but had to lose weight after pregnancy. Yeah. So having someone that's walked that path, that life path, I think really connected with my customer very well. Yeah, I, I, and the idea that you're talking about, I think like the technical term for it is called like aspirational casting. Um, and I think where what our listeners could take away from that is it's really combining these two things. It's combining your target market, mm -hmm. identifying like who do we actually want to sell to? Because while trying to sell to everybody, you sell to nobody. And Correct. The stores that we see succeed, whether it's a men's store or a home goods store, like if it's a home goods store, you could buy all the furniture in the world. And if you're going to have like things that look French country and things that look like mm -hmm. it could be from Magnolia Home and things that, right. um, all these different styles, no one's actually going to shop with you. Correct. Because what you need is if someone wants that like barn house look, they need to think of you. They need to, and that's where you've done a, 
an exceptional job is you've defined your target market. Um, and then how do we then find like the best possible version of that target market? And I think that's the important thing in selling online and building your brand. Um, and this is one aspect of the brand, right? But is when you can pick like the best possible version of that, it means if your market could be in their 30s, don't get someone who's 22. Correct. But you could get someone that's 29. Yes. You know, and, you know, even if it's plus size, finding like who is that plus size model that is the like best possible version of that client. And so that, that doesn't mean that it's about a size, but it can be about an appearance. It's about a look or a feel that that person gives. Well, and that goes back to what I said about connecting with somebody emotionally, you know, like on every single level, like just really pouring into where they are in their life stage. Buying clothes is so personal for mm-hmm. so many women. It, you you know, it covers your insecurities. It covers, you know, there's so many things about it and you have to be able to like build that relationship and that trust by connecting with somebody on an emotional level. And I talk about this sometimes to other sometimes to other entrepreneurs or other retailers and I don't know that it always clicks what I'm talking about because when you look at our Instagram feed or our website you're like I just see pictures of clothes but we became even more specific when we're wearing casual comfy clothes Lindsay portrays a carefree smile when we're wearing things that she's going to wear to a dressy date night she's honing in on, you know, her sexy side or whatever you want to say. We re- we spend time really trying to say, okay, how's our customer going to feel when they put on this specific piece? And where would they wear it? What would they need? To, how would they be feeling? What would they be encountering? Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time doing that. And I think that makes a difference too. Yeah. So if you are a retail store owner and not just a women's boutique, like how would you point someone towards beginning to do that? So if they've been... You know, if it's a retail store owner that's just been used to putting everything on herself and modeling it, if there was like two or three things that you said, hey, if you make these couple changes, I think you're going to see an improvement as it as it pertains to, I mean, we're really right now we're talking, yes, we're talking about the brand, but we're by that we're talking a lot about the pictures that you use, which has to do with that emotional connection that you're talking about. Can you think, is there anything specific that would be changes a retailer could make? to do that or is is it really all about the target market getting someone in that and having them you know per- personify that feeling that you want them to get whether it's the date night stuff or the casual comfy so i would say whenever you're styling for your photos look at each piece individually and play around with ideas where would our customer wear this and we can take a plaid button down for instance Um, just because I'm wearing one, (laughs) um, and say, okay, where would she wear this? Okay. So if she is running errands with her family, portray that Saturday feel, how do you feel on Saturday? Oh, you feel carefree or you feel thankful. You feel, you know, like not as stressed because you're not during the work week. Um, so just really trying to tie into the emotional side of Mm -hmm. how they would feel in those clothes. If you were doing like hoodies, like a hoodie or something like that, we typically will style it with jeans and Lindsay puts her hair up in a bun and she's typically does like a bundled up feel or maybe she's wearing sunnies and laughing. We try to say, okay, where would they be wearing this outfit? And when they're in that specific situation, how are they going to feel, you know? So I would just really try to pray off of that. 
movement, movement within your pictures. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that do great with this, but for us, we choose not to have the same stance every single time, the same look. We want to show movement in the clothes and how they wear on the body. And that's also important for the customers to see. 100%. You know, this online, like it, it isn't all about pictures. That definitely is an aspect and something that plays into it. And it could even pay a big, play a big part. Um, but, you know, your social, at least from what I see, seems to be a huge piece of it as well. Like, how has social played into it? Because I don't think you're not like directly selling. I mean, you might do like the shoppable Instagram, which I think a lot of people Sometimes do. Sometimes we do it. Yeah, I think that's a smart move to not. It, it can be abused, but that's for another episode. Yeah, you're not like directly selling on Instagram. You treat that a little bit differently. Um, we do. Like, how, how does that look for you? If someone were to go to your Instagram right now, like what would they see and why would it be different from other retailers out there? I mean, if you go to my Instagram right now, you're going to see all of our products. You will see prices on each individual picture of what product we're talking about. And I always do have a price there. But one thing that you may not see that's that's different is my copy. And when I refer to copy, I'm actually referring to like the text that you see underneath the actual image. I try to really even more so allow my personality and who we are as a company to come out through those words. And just reach When you say my, do you mean like you, Tara, or you, Ruthie Grace? Or are they the same? We're one and the same. Okay. You know, like I say she's my child. She's she's really me, you know. Um, Ruthie Grace actually is a named after both my maternal and my paternal grandmothers. It's a com- combination of their middle names, but really she is me. Like I am the brand and the drive behind everything she does because I am my target audience and not mm-hmm. every business has to be like who owns a business does not have to be the target audience. It's not always going to shimmy itself out that way. But in my specific case, I am my target audience. And so I like to bring laughter and fun and encouragement and things like that through the captions or the copy of the actual individual post. But another thing that we do really well, and we stumbled across this idea early spring of this year, Mm -hmm. and it has made a huge difference. And I know you said, don't always give away the secret sauce, but I'm going to give away the secret sauce is we really leverage Instagram stories to be what is intended for as a story. I think the thing that businesses are doing right now is they're using Instagram stories to constantly, they're just basically, it's a swipe up feature of their Instagram feed. And I don't think that that's the right way to use that tool within the social platform. What we do on Instagram stories is we tell a story. We tell the story of Ruthie Grace. We show behind the scenes videos. We talk to our customers. It's where we give them information, but it's my face. You see who I am behind the screen. We also do something every Wednesday. So we have launches every Thursday at 8 p.m. But on Wednesdays, we have created a What You'll Want Wednesday. It's a story of us showing sneak peeks of all the new arrivals, but we don't just talk about the clothes. We make jokes and we dance and we like do really funny stuff. And our customers live for those What You'll Want Wednesday stories. You know, you said something that I really want to come back to, and that's that you're doing a launch every Thursday at 8. Yes. Um, and that you're using those stories. So you've used social. So Instagram would probably be the, the biggest one, right? Yes. My Shopify store shows me it's 87% of my referrals. 
Wow. Come Huge. from Instagram. That's massive. Huge. So you use the Instagram story as an amazing way to reach and connect to your customer. Correct. You know, you, you mentioned this launch idea that every day, Thursday at eight. So you do that thing on Wednesday, though. The what you'll want Wednesday. What you'll want Wednesday. Which, by the way, we allowed our customers to submit what they thought we should call those funny videos. And that was the one we picked. It was pretty clever. That's good. I yeah. like it. Um, so what you'll want Wednesday. And on Thursday, you do this launch. Like, explain the thought behind that. What Where did that come this? about? Yeah, because I think the the default for most retail businesses is an item gets here, you receive the purchase order, and it goes online. Like Correct. The quantities are available. Right. So now, of course, you have inventory, make it sellable as fast as possible. And we were like that for a very long time. We honestly were taking pictures of it and putting it on social media before we even had it tagged, ready to sell, you know. Um, we couldn't get things out quicker because the quicker we got them out the quicker we could make money. And I am trying really hard to rack my brain to remember how we came around to actually doing launches. And I want to say that the evolution of it came just from the original website launch. And also too, as I continue to study more into email marketing, this is going to be kind of a sidebar, but when I started really honing in on email marketing and taking webinars, I noticed that the people I was always taking webinars from always talked about building hype for a launch. And I think that just further solidified the fact that we wanted to do launches. And we want, because people were always asking us, when do you have new arrivals? When do you have new arrivals? And we just decided that we were going to stick to launch days. And we, oh, it's coming to me now. Even more so, we had to stick to launch days because we had to schedule when we would model. Because remember, my model you know, she's not an employee. She's not whoever's working the floor. That is her sole job within the company. And so in order to wreck around her schedule, we had to have one day where she came in and modeled. And so technically you could launch things, you know, every day if you wanted to, but we had to have styles stockpiled ready for her to go so we could crank out all the pictures all at once. So it wasn't necessarily, at least at first, a marketing thing. A lot of it was like just function. Correct. And it started out as we had Tuesday launches and Friday launches, and they were at 7 a.m. Tuesday at 7 a.m., that was always a mini launch. And then Friday at 7 a.m., that was the bigger one. Okay. Why 7 a.m.? I don't know other than <laughs> the fact that we knew that we wanted our launches to be before work or after work because we wanted to be able to catch people when 7 a.m., we wanted to catch them when they were at work kind of like checking their emails like, hey, you're, at, you know, they're, they're there. And then the nighttime launches, that just really came around because we did A-B testing. We wanted to see where the customers were. We did morning launches. We did an evening launches. And we found that evening launches were better for us. More people were available. And so that's what we stuck to. And then we got to where we decided to put it all together, all as one launch because if we were working on loading pictures to the website and editing and all those things, it was better. We have found that each day brings more productivity if it has a very specific purpose for what you're doing. And so on Tuesdays is the only thing I do is I shoot product. I edit. That's all I do on Tuesdays and that's in preparation for our Thursday launch. Okay. So you went from seven and then now... When do your products launch? They are Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
So you you wanted it to be after work. So what started as function, how has that been a part of your growth over the last year? So the thing that's been really important about our launches is we build a lot of hype. Do you want me to go kind of down sure, that path? Yeah, now? Okay. that'd be great. So we build hype around our product launches every single week. Starting on Tuesday, we start leaking sneak peeks of products that are going to launch on Thursday to give customers kind of like a sneak peek of what's launching so they know what they want to buy as soon as the website launch goes live. So I would say the hype and the buildup to the product launches has been a huge factor in our success over the last year. Yeah, so people are are excited about it. And I think something that you've done really well is consistency. Correct. For someone who, especially if they're starting a new retail business or they're like in their first year, it probably seems intimidating, the idea of this kind of commitment. What does that look like and what's made that doable for you to like consistently do the same thing like week in and week out? I'm going to talk about a financial side because for me, it's the cash flow and the open to buy, which is a concept that I didn't really implement in the beginning. So being able to kind of have that cash flow has given me the ability to stockpile inventory, to be able to be prepared for the launch, for the launch to in return to be successful, for in return to have better margins and better profit. Yeah, I think that's incredible. I think something you mentioned earlier with web and something you mentioned just now that Really, if I had to pinpoint, I think your brand, of course, is a big piece of your success. The feeling, the Who the you are. Yeah, who you are, all of it. I think that's a huge piece. Um, I almost disagree with you. I think that one of the biggest things that has been unique for you is that you ask why. Yes. You like constantly. If something's successful, why was that successful? And I, we hinted on that earlier. Um, but you, you mentioned noticing your analytics and noticing your customer and so for a a retail business that's not in the boutique world you know you can listen to the things that Tara's saying and you could say okay well I'm not that so how to how does that apply to me well if you're a home decor store your customer isn't online from you know 8 to 11 p.m. she's online during work hours because she's an interior designer and so now how do we reach her or him during the time that they're online. Where their um, presence is, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, if it's a male and you're, you're a men's clothing store, when is that customer online? It's asking the constant why and then having numbers and places to look to back it up. So no matter what it is, I think that's something that's really unique and a, a huge takeaway for retailers. Ask why and then know where to look, whether that's analytics for the website, analytics from like your POS system, um, and then how, where does that translate? That translates into um, changing the the way that your model works. That's changing the um, look and feel of your website. That's changing your open to buy strategy. All of those things have led to to different actions for you. Small fine tuning. Just taking what's already working and fine tuning it a little bit more. Our product launches, we have found our sweet spot is around 35 styles. It's so silly, but when we launch 25 styles, it actually coincides with less sales. But if we go above 35 into the 45 style range, it doesn't make that much of a difference. So we we literally every single launch we analyze, was it a payday week? Was mm-hmm. there a good selection? What, how many styles did we have? You know, did we accidentally not post the sneak peeks early enough and for not get behind and not post them until Wednesday? People weren't just prepared to meet us there. We analyze every single aspect. 
even as far as like what item do we think is going to be the best seller and we make sure that it is at the top of the list of the website whenever the products go live because we want people to get it and be able to find it as soon as they go looking for it. Yeah. Well, Tara, I really, I think this has been really good and really informative for retailers. Again, I think, you know, to bring this back home, um, if you've listened to this whole episode by now, um, I think that the biggest takeaways is one, ask why. Why are you succeeding? Why are you failing? Um, And then second is know who you are. Know who you are as an owner, who you are as a store, and then let that translate into your brand. So know who you are, know who your store is, and know who your customer is. And how do you reach those and make those pivots that are necessary to fit that brand? Of course. Um, Because it may not, in your situation right now, it's you. Your brand is also you. But 25 years from now, if your market stays the same, it's not going to be you anymore. Correct. And you're going to constantly have to keep asking why. So all these things together really is what leads to a successful retail business. So I've really appreciated you spending some time today. One thing I'd love to do is before we go is I'd love to give you like a minute or two. Okay. To sell yourself. Um, if someone loves clothes and they're into this kind of stuff, like where would they go to buy from you? Where can they learn more about Ruthie Grace and and what it looks like to shop from Ruthie Grace? Not boutique, just Ruthie Grace. Just Ruthie Grace. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Josh, so much for asking me to be a part of the podcast. Honestly, this has been a dream of mine. I have such a heart for entrepreneurs, the struggles that we face, but also the joys and the triumphs that we get to experience owning our own business. So this has been really fun. But if you want to find me, first, you can find my store at www.shopruthygrace.com. Dot com. You can hang out with us on Instagram. We're super fun. We're always there answering questions, responding to direct messages at shopruthygrace.com on Instagram. And Ruthie uh, is with an I-E. I-E-R-U-T-H. I like igloo. E like elephant. what I always tell people on the phone. <laughs> um, Grace. If you want to find me personally, I have a public profile on Instagram. My name is Tara with a T at Tara Austin, like the city, the number one. I share little bits of behind the scenes. I like to do inspirational stuff sometimes. You'll see a lot of my kids, but um, I'm there and I am yours for asking. If you'd like to ask any questions, I'm always an open book and I love sharing my heart with other people. Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate it. Um, And I appreciate you listening to us today. If you have not subscribed to Retail Initiative, I encourage you to do so. Um, And also check out our website, retailinitiative.com, where we have resources for retailers like you to learn to grow your business and to connect with retailers just like Tara, who are in the dirt, in the mud, um, trying to just figure this whole thing out. So again, thank you for listening, Tara. Thanks for being with us. And we'll see you next time.